Blog Talk Radio. Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. I am your humble host, Lorenzo Neal, Ellen from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation. We're promoting knowledge that is engaging and transforming. 
We're empowering our listeners to being, knowing, doing, and impacting the world around them. And you are welcome to join us in this illuminating journey. You can call in our line. The number is 917-388-4293. You can join us in the live chat room on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, We'll be in that chat room there. You can join us on Facebook, Twitter, and all that other stuff I probably don't even know about. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But we're here, and we'll welcome you to today's broadcast, and we're glad that you are joining in with us on a, another day's journey. I'm I'm excited as always. I'm just glad to be in the land of the living one more day. And um, God is good all the time. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that you've allowed us to see another day's journey. We do ask that you forgive us for our sins and blot out our iniquities. And we thank you, God, for this illuminating journey of discussion and dialogue that we're about to begin We'll play your choices and richest blessings upon all the listeners and all those who will be engaging with us today. In your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, like I said, I'm glad to be able to do another broadcast, and I'm glad to be another day alive and uh, on the Lord's green earth. I've had a had a very busy weekend, exciting weekend, great weekend, hot weekend, but I've, <laughs> I have no complaints. Uh, we had a wonderful weekend. Yes, on Saturday we had the chance to uh, to show our appreciation to our uh, presiding elder and our district in the African Methodist Episcopal Church. And um, on later on that afternoon, we buried um, uh, a pastor friend of mine. We buried his mother. She had been she was a wonderful woman, uh, impacted community, and she was 91 years old when she was called home to be with the Lord. Eighteen children, 91 years old, and all of them are doing well, and all of them are serving God, and it's just, you know, it was just wonderful. But it was hot. It was hot, yes. But uh, we're thankful to God for her life and her service, especially how she raised her children in the knowledge of the Lord of God. And um, they're still working in the church. They're still serving the Lord gladly. And yesterday, now yesterday, had an awesome time. The church I pastor, Union Bethel, African Methodist Episcopal Church, celebrated 145 years. It was the 145th church anniversary, and we just had an awesome time. My presiding elder, Dr. Reverend Dr. Lord Washington, came and empowered us with faithful mes- a very, very powerful message. Uh, subject was um, faith to receive. Faith to believe and favor to receive, and uh, we are just it just it just stimulated our growth. Now, I'll give you a little background: the church has been it was planted in 1865, and they've been the building that we worship in now was built in 1902, and we've been worshiping in the same building for 102 years, and uh, not all the same people. <laughs> and it's just. It was just wonderful celebrating that great milestone, and we're in the process of building a new. Uh, we started stages to build a new building, and what I love about that uh, this 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 building and this church is that uh, they they didn't have many resor- much resources to begin, and they they went on and they built the church, uh, bought more land and property than most people own today, and um, it's just amazing what they were able to do back then with such limited resources. And they built a building that withstood uh, the test of time. I mean, it's gone through hurricane after hurricane. 
uh, it was still standing after Katrina. It was still standing after Rita. And uh, in 2008, when Hurricane Gustav came, literally Gustav came on land right at the church. And um, the only damage is slightly leaning, but God knows uh, it's still standing. You know, we thought it would surely be destroyed, but it's still standing. And if the Lord is, if the Lord wills and funds provide and people give and are faithful, we will be putting up a new building in the near future. So I was excited for that. We had a wonderful time. Uh, give a quick news, some some news. Of course, last week uh, we learned of um, the last of the combat troops leaving Iraq, signifying uh, the end to the combat war, uh, combat part of the war. And about 50,000 uh, troops will still be remaining. They'll be serving as support to the Iraqi military. And um, President Obama, it seems as if he's uh, fulfilling a combat uh, campaign promise. Uh, uh, well, not really a campaign promise, but more uh, an in-office promise to get all of the troops out uh, by the end of this month. And, and he didn't get all of them out, but he got the combat troops out, and I'm I'm glad that they are safe and they'll be returning home uh, within the next few weeks, and I know a lot of their family will be excited. And we're just waiting to see how this is going to pan out uh, with the Iraqi military. And, of course, everybody's having the same sentiments about Afghanistan. And we just need you to be in prayer. Pray, Continue to pray for our troops. Um, they need your prayers. They need your support. You know, we don't need to be divisive in this time. Uh, this is a long war. I think it's probably one of the longest that the country has been involved in. And uh, we need to support the president. We need to support our troops. But we really, really want them to come home. Uh, amen to that. Um, so uh, just we're excited that, that that's happened. There's so many other news stories that's happened, and I'm going to talk about one in the later, uh, later part of this segment. But uh, I read an article that caught my attention um, about a public school in Los Angeles. Now, I'm a proponent of public school education. Now, um, you know, that's my background. I've taught in the public schools, and I'm a product of public schools. Uh, but I'm a, pro I'm a proponent of it within reason. And uh, I was just reading on an article uh, uh, from the Los Angeles Times, and this is amazing, but... Uh, they just, uh, Los Angeles Public Schools uh, is opening uh, Robert F. Kennedy Community School next month. And um, it's a twofold celebration. One is it's a restoration of the former Ambassador Hotel, which is where Robert F. Kennedy was assassinated by Sierra and B. Sirhan in 1968. So the historical significance of that that, uh, that place is great. But here's the Here's the here's the biggest thing. The entire project to complete from start to finish five hundred and seventy eight million dollars, making it the most expensive public school in the nation. Now, I, from what I've read through the article, it's supposed to you know have a park and it's supposed to have all kinds of you know perks and everything for the students. But come on now, California's break bankrupt. <laughs> most of the school districts are laying off. As a matter of fact, they just they just had um, in the same weekend 
where they're announcing that this school will be opening, the teachers were going on strike, and they're you know they they're having problems with the teachers. Uh, the complaint, of course, as it is across the nation, is teacher pay based on student performance. And I'm not going to get into that, uh, not not right now, but you know they're complaining and they're 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 angry that their te- their pay is going to be based on whether students pass tests. You know, and, uh, that's a touchy subject, but they're building you know multi-million dollar campuses and you know they have a very very low graduation rate in California public schools uh, and, and you know why do that but hey they had money to spend I I, I wouldn't have uh, I, I personally wouldn't have advised that but what do I know I'm you know I'm just a teacher I'm just a but that's a waste of money for something that if it's you know if it was productive, I could see it, but not. Uh, there's also, talk, you know, how talk about uh, this ground, this mosque at ground zero thing is really dividing the country and saying that, you know, Americans hate Muslims and all this kind of stuff. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit because uh, it involves our president. Um, some of his, this, uh, you know, he brought national attention to this local zoning issue. And it also brought up uh, something that directly related to him regarding his uh, beliefs. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to take a break. And when we talk, take this break, we're talking about, we're going to continue our discussion, uh, uh, what we called confusing milk for meat. Um, and we're going to be talking about relevance and today. Relevance, the church's attempt at being relevant, and um, how something contributed to that. Um, why we try to fit in as a church, I don't know, but so many preachers feel like they have to fit in, and they feel like they have to do something relevant. Um, so we're going to take this break, and when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about this mosque issue, uh, the president's face, and the church's bad attempt at relevance. We'll be right back. Check your speakers. This ain't a self-help song or another makeover song, but how it made me over. <laughs> you dig? I like me. Yo, you like me? Cause I like me. Do you like me? See, I like me. Cause he likes me. God likes me. Yo, you all like me? I like me. Yo, you like me? Cause I like me. Do you like me? See, I like me. Cause he likes me. God likes me. Yo, yo, short, big nose, big lip, kind of stuff to stutter, butter, butter, never trip, got my daddy swag and I walk with a limp, got a hot wife, no need to be a pimp, never been cute, never been fly, cause I've been changed, got that twinkle in my eye, got my grill fixed, now smile when I speak, tell me who that is, yo, it's that Jesus freak, yo, you like me, cause I like me, do you like me, see I like me, cause he likes me, God likes me. Yo, you all like me? I like me. Yo, you like me? Sir, cause I like me. Juice you in the booth. Like See, I like me. Why? Like me. <laughs> That's the piece right there. Hey, I've been waiting a long time for this I one. just smile. 
I'm so content, and I ain't even got yellow stones on my wrist. I hear the world say I'm supposed to be rich, but I don't buy that, man. I don't go with the trend. Uh-huh. Go the whole mile, lose or win. I hope they see impression that the CDs give. Uh-huh. I'm more concerned about how they see me live. They're trying to get a house from them TV cribs. Hey, fine.
Uh, and and he, you know, he went around. He did this world tour with Arabs and Muslims, apologizing for America, and that just infuriated, you know, those. I'm not even going to go there, but it infuriated a lot of people because it came across as he was apologizing for 911 and all of these things. So you have this group of Americans who actually believe that he's a a Muslim, uh, partially because of what we're seeing in in the world today and, and his actions toward the Middle East and Israel and um, uh, the president of Iran and not con- condemning some things that he's done and all these events make people think he's Muslim. Well, in fact, he is Christian. He, you know, if if you know a little bit about him, he spent 20 years. Uh, at a church. Uh, the church is Trinity United Church of Christ that was pastored by Reverend Jeremiah Wright, now pastored by uh, Reverend Otis Moss III. And, um, and it's a great church, you know. It's um Afrocentric centered church, uh, black liberation theology centered church. And, of course, you know, these you have these lot, a lot of these people who, uh, who have no real idea of what black liberation theology is and uh, uh, Afrocentricity centered uh, church worship is, but you know they tore up. And of course, uh, Dr. Jeremiah Wright uh, had some very inflammatory words <laughs> when it came to the United States. And um, you had uh, commentators like uh, Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, Glenn Beck, and all so many others who were tearing him down. And of course, candidate Obama at the time decided to uh, disjoin the church. He left the church, disowned Reverend Wright, and um, he is not affiliated with a church, but he does worship at the chapel uh, that is uh, at Camp David where most presidents do worship. That's where he holds. It's a non-denominational chapel and uh, has a chaplain, military chaplain, who serves as the minister there and they do. Uh, they go there. I don't know how often or how frequent, but you know they go. And plus, he has, he does have spiritual advisors, uh, what they call spiritual, excuse me, spiritual advisors. Uh, some who are pastors who uh, pray for him and talk with him and counsel him and things of that nature. But again, you know, I think what what most people is uh, where most people get confused. And I'm not defending the president. I'm just stating the facts. Is that uh, you had. All previous presidents who were uh, professing Christians publicly, uh, and um, in the case of uh, George W. Bush, the reason he was so popular among evangelical Christians is the fact that he, uh, during the debates, publicly admitted that Jesus Christ is he was born again. He said it on national television. He said it, and of course that garnered the support of the right. The, Religious right that they just pushed him and pushed him after that. It didn't matter how bad he drove our country, <laughs> uh, you know, spending and all of that domestically, and of course, you know, the war that we've been fighting for these past uh, eight years or so. Um, they saw, you know, the public saw them going to church. Of course, they were they went to the United Methodist Church. They saw Bill Clinton go to church. Uh, you know, they, they saw uh President Reagan and Bush the 1st to go to, you know, Bush 1 go to church. They saw them go to church. They saw them worship. Um uh, and this president has 
really not been, you know, when he was campaigning, he was all around churches. Of course, you know, he made his famous Father's Day speech at a at a Pentecostal church in Chicago, you know. And so he was, you know, he, he has not been visible with the church folks, so that caused a lot of people to think that he's not a Christian. And, you know, they've been assailing him for that. And you probably wonder what in the world does this have to do with milk and meat and relevance and all of that. Uh, it, it just shows uh, where this country is when it comes to religion, and where the, especially Christian religion, because um, the different faiths, the, the different denominations um, push a lot of things that have caused, and, and, and well, primarily with the spread of non-denominationalism in the country where you have more churches becoming independent, not affiliated with any kind of denomination, and they're pushing things that are uh, unorthodox, you know, uh, contemporary and things of that nature, and it's it's really causing a lot of confusion because it used to be understood what a Christian was, you know, what a Christian looked like, but now you have no idea. You understood, it used to be understood what a worship experience at a church would be like, and now, you know, you go to some, you have no idea you're in church at all. And I'm kind of jumping my head at myself, but I want to make sure that we touch on that. Now, uh, he was affiliated with the United Churches of Christ, and that's a liberal denomination. Uh, and um, they're, they're, they're known for their stance, liberal stances politically. You know, they're, they're proponents of gay marriage. Uh, they ordain homosexual uh, ministers and clergy. They... Um, Promote, um, they promote sex education, give out condoms and things of that nature. Nothing's wrong with that, uh, and they have gone to the extreme in some in some some of their churches because they're grossly they're not really they're they're uh, loose affiliated denomination. In other words, uh, they have no general board, they have no general overseer per se. They do have a governing body, but that governing body is not directly interfering or controlling with the local assemblies, which gives the local assemblies a lot of autonomy. So they're not quite congregational. They were birthed in the Reformed and Lutheran tradition. And those of you who are uh, scholars, you you know those traditions. That's the tradition of Calvin and uh, Martin Luther. But it's become a very liberal denomination uh, in the, this more recently. So he's affiliated with the church, you know, he just doesn't go to church or or he doesn't allow the public to see him worship. He worships privately, which begs the question, should uh, the president be worshiping publicly? Should he see his, should the public see him worshiping uh, publicly? And um, it, it, it adds to, it adds to the debate of relevancy. It adds to the debate of, um, of maturity. Christian maturity, because they, you know, people want to see their president's face. And George Bush, the, uh, George W. Bush, and like I said, previous presidents displayed their faith for all to see. And uh, it, it begs the question: Is is this country a Christian? Is America a Christian nation? And I, I really can't honestly un- answer that because we are a diverse nation. Uh, and I think the people sometimes I think the people who are trying to uh, make this country a completely ultra right Christian country, uh, doing some great 
this justice to all the history of America. And that's not to say that I, you know, that uh, uh, everybody else's faith is invalid, but it, everyone else's faith is valid. Um, it just happened to be that Christian faith was, you know, the primary driving force behind what most of the founding fathers believed. So, but uh, like I said, most of most of them uh, think that he is secretly a Muslim because he doesn't publicly express his his Christian faith. You know, he doesn't give his testimony. He doesn't, you know, I, I and I don't know. I, I really don't know what would make the difference anyway. Because uh, those who assailed him anyway won't be satisfied, even if he did come out and say, and he has, and you know, even if he did publicly, if he started preaching, if he said today I'm called to preach, <laughs> there'll be a lot of people who are saying, well, the president is supposed to be a preacher, and you know, they'll they'll find something to talk about him and bewail him, belittle him again. So it really doesn't matter. But let's get really into what we were really, really wanted to talk about. Last week we talked, you know, I, I said there's an, it's an epidemic going on in the church, and the epidemic is that there are a lot of immature Christians in the church. And I, I said there's several reasons. I, the first thing I believe is there's a great, a great level of biblical illiteracy in the church, in the in American church, probably around the, the church around the world, but I definitely know in an American church uh, there's a great great epidemic of biblical illiteracy. Not saying people don't read the Bible, but when it comes to understanding the Bible and interpreting the Bible within its context and interpreting it correctly and then applying it, it's it's almost gone. People are relying on other people to interpret it for them. And it's like we're going back into the the Middle Ages when the priests were the only ones who could read the Bible. Up not just the Middle Ages, up until the King James Bible was written was actually authorized, <laughs> not written, but authorized. Uh, only the clergy and the very, very elite few were able to read and were able to interpret scripture. So, you know, however they did it back in the day is, you know, they said it meant something, that's how the people went. You know, that's what the people believe. And unfortunately, it's like that, it's getting back to that point now. Um, secondly, I think there's a, guy, uh, a great deal of Selfishness in the postmodern church that's uh, contributing to uh, spiritual immaturity, um, and I'm gonna talk a little bit more about that later on in this uh, in the show in the segment. But there is a great deal of selfishness from myself to others, to pastors and members. It's, it it has it has given a great deal of detriment to the church and contributed to it. Uh, and lastly, I think. Um, the secularization of the the whole gospel being secularized that is a major problem with me and I'm talking about it from gospel hip hop to uh you know contemporary christian uh music gospel black gospel music ultimately all of it is secularized and that had you know when you brought the world into the church that created a great problem. And this is nothing new. This has been going on since the first century. So it's not like it's anything new. I mean, this was going on uh, in the time uh, of Jesus and the time of the apostles, and it's been going on since the third century when the church, uh, uh, fourth century when the church uh, 
put the cannon together and all. It, it's nothing new. There, there really is nothing new under the sun. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. And I know a lot of people are not going to like the fact that you know, <laughs> I'm talking about it, but it was, it is something that needs to be talked about. Um, so when we come back from this break, we're going to talk about relevance. Why is the church trying to be relevant? Should the church be relevant? <laughs> and is the church really doing a good job at being relevant? And uh, <laughs> I tell you, I, that's one thing I really, 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 really want to talk about. So we're going to take a quick break right after this. We'll come back and talk about relevance. Question: What is hip? And you know, 
I, I believe <laughs> that that's what a lot of preachers do before they put the, the sermon together. You know, okay, what's 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 popular? What's popping? What's going on? You know, <laughs> and and what they do is they base the, you know they draw from there and then they find scriptures to support that. And next thing you know, you got a sermon that's gonna make you run, jump, holler, and be, feel good, and it's hip, but it's contributing to your spiritual immaturity. Uh, I, I say that the modern church is uh, really struggling to be relevant, and my personal belief is we don't need to be trying to be relevant at all. Um, the Word of God in itself stands time. It has stood the test of time. It is relevant. If we stand on the Word of God by itself, uh, we don't need to add anything to it, not add anything to it or take anything away from it because that is all that we need. Now, relevance comes in in the presentation of the gospel. And fortunately, in the presentation, we have given away to a lot of ungodly practices in the church. You know, when it comes to music and sermons, it's all being centered on man and not God. And some of you might not, well, no, it ain't centered on man. And, uh, you know, I, I think about the, uh, the the music of the church, you know, the contemporary Christian music, the gospel music, uh, the, and the the hip hop, holy hip hop. Uh, now, mind you, I like. I'm not knocking it. I, I I like it. I think you know, it is a way to reach young people. But is it supposed to be in the church doing worship service? I don't think so. Is it a tool that we could use to you know outreach? Yes, I think it is a tool that can be used. Uh, the problem that I have, and uh, I have a very good friend who's. Uh, uh, holy hip hop rapper, and, you know, uh, does good. He, he's great at what he does, and, but he's a minister first. He lets everybody knows that, you know. But you know what what happens is what happens is a lot of times we get what the secular world has been promoting in, and we bring it into the church, and we drape it as gospel. And the next thing you know. We, you know, and the next thing you know, people don't know any different. You know, I've been to a church where I swear I was in a club because the folk were dressed, like, you know, you had the mini skirts on, you had all, and the music that they were playing literally resembled club music. I was at a, I was at a, um, a function not too long ago, and um, I was kind of, I fell out of place because I could not identify one with some of the things that were going on, and I'm young. You know, I, I'm young, I'm hip, and I, at least I like to think I am. But I couldn't identify and I couldn't relate. And then as the ministry went forward, the preacher literally, I mean, I think he only referred to Jesus two or three times in the sermon. And, and, and both of those times it was not within the context of his burial or resurrection, uh, his death or his resurrection. And then as the altar call was given, it was an appeal not an appeal to accept Christ. It was an appeal to be, uh, redeemed, not redeemed, uh, you know, be healed. And it was a, a, a different kind of appeal. And it wasn't to be saved. The, the appeal was not to be saved, you know, to give yourself to Christ. Uh, but you need prayer. And the folks came to the altar and all of this. And I'm like, they're coming to the altar responding to what? Because there was no gospel message presenting. And the Bible says, uh, how can they hear unless 
there's a preacher. How can a preacher hit uh, preach unless he's been sent? And unfortunately, those people didn't hear the gospel that night, so they responded to something, but it was not the gospel. And that's the problem, you know, you have in a lot of churches. People are responding to something, but they're not responding to the gospel. They're responding to an emotional appeal. Uh, they are responding to a message that that stuck them somewhere. But the preacher never mentions Jesus Christ and his death, his burial, and resurrection. And, and um, that's, that, that takes away from a lot of stuff. And, and then you got these preachers who are really trying to be relevant uh, because their sermons are more like the TV guy, you know, listing uh, a show because it's based off movie themes, popular songs, uh, TV shows. A good website you can go to to check this out is called www.alittleleaven.com. And it's called the Museum of Idolatry, and the reason it's called that is because when you go to this website, <laughs> you'll see things that you would never believe go on in churches. You'll see preachers, you know, dressed up like Austin Powers <laughs> preaching. You'll see dressed up like Elvis and all kinds of stuff in efforts to uh, make the gospel relatable to people. When we make the gospel relatable to people, we start taking away from Christ. Um, and there's, several, uh, there's a story in the, in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel. Now, this is significant because up until this time in Samuel, uh, the people of Israel were led by judges, God-appointed judges. And in 1 Samuel chapter 8, Samuel is getting old and his sons are not godly at all. They are not what Samuel was, you know. They were money chasers. They were lovers of themselves and things of that nature. And, and you know, of course, God wasn't pleased, but the people weren't pleased either. So they went to Samuel, and they said, Samuel, ask God to give us a king so we could be like everybody else. And, of course, Samuel was, was not pleased with that, and God was not pleased with that either. And what the Scripture says is, Samuel, you don't understand. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me because they don't want me to reign over them. And that is what's happening in, in, in the church. And, and then God, say, God, what, God said this. God said, okay, tell them, I'll give them a king, but tell them this is what the king is going to do. He's going to take their children. He's going to put them in the war. He's going to take their daughters and put them into service. He's going to take their land and a tenth of the crops and all of these things. He's going to really abuse them. But since they want a king, I'll go ahead and get it. And God allowed Samuel to anoint Saul as king because he was handsome and he looked better than all the other men. And he anointed Saul as king. And, of course, Saul became disobedient and Saul was dethroned. And then he anointed David as king. God allowed Samuel to anoint David as king. And David was a man after God's own heart, as what the Scripture says. But... <laughs> David also gave over to his own desires. You know, of course, he had Bathsheba and had the baby. And, but um, eventually his household became disrupted. It, you know, had a lot, a lot of steamy stuff go on in his household with his children, incest and murder and all of that. And then Solomon. Solomon was a, a, a king who asked God for wisdom, and, and God gave him wisdom, and God allowed him to write Proverbs, God allowed him to build the temple. Um, but 
Solomon didn't fare better than the other kings before him. His grand, you know, his father and Saul before him, because Solomon loved himself. He loved women. Had seven hundred wives, uh, three hundred wives, seven hundred concubines, <laughs> and he displeased God because he started building temples and worshiping at the temples of his wives who didn't believe God, and and basically, as a result. Um, uh, the kingdom was dis- uh, was divided, and you had the northern tribes and the southern tribes, and so et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but the people wanted to be relevant. They wanted to fit in with the nations around them, and they asked God for a king. And when they got the king, they got what they asked for. And in today's church, you know, we're trying to fit in, and in the process of fitting in, we're getting exactly what we're asking for. We want to be comfortable, so we're coming to church comfortable, you know. And I'm not talking about just the dress. I'm just talking about we're coming to church in our sins, feeling comfortable. It, it doesn't bother us if we sin the morning before, you know, the, the night before church or the hours before church, and we don't repent. And I'm not talking about, you know, we all sin, come, come to church, we got our issues. But I'm, not, I'm talking about you coming into a, a holy place in an unholy state. And you're not repentant of that unholy state, you know. You worship God as if, you know, nothing's going to happen. I used to have this fear, and I'm sure a lot of you did, you were listening to the show, that uh, you did anything wrong, God was going to strike you down. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I have to go back to the uh, sermon by Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, that he preached in the 18th century. And that conveyed that thought of God being a judging God. And, and yes, he is a judging God, but he's also a God of grace. So, you know, it seems like he kind of balances it out. But, um, you know, the, the church the church trying to fit in does not fit at all. And Christ said that, Christ, Christ said, uh, you should be imitating me because I'm imitating my father. And... If they didn't like me, they shouldn't like you. And you shouldn't be surprised if they don't like you. They hated me, and they should hate you. But the problem is, is the exact reverse, where we're finding that uh, more and more Christians are trying to be liked. As this, the, the doctrine of tolerance is becoming more appealing to churches because we want to get all people. We want to get people in here. We want to get them in, and once they get in, then we'll start doing the run. You know, and. There is some truth. You want to get the people in, but you don't want to do it by trickery. You want to do that by the gospel. If they don't respond to the gospel, you do what Jesus told his disciples to do. When he sent them out, he said, okay, you go to this place. If they accept you, you eat there, you bless their house, and you, you, don't, you do good. If they don't accept you, you don't get mad. They don't like you. They don't want you. You don't get mad. You simply turn around, wipe the dust off your feet, and go on. But we have a church that we're courting the world. We don't want the world to not like us. We don't want to be over-Christian-sized. You know, we had those holiness churches that over-Christianized everything. You know, everything was hallelujah, praise the Lord, thank you, Jesus, and all of that. So, you know, those people, they end up getting on everybody's nerves. I was one of them, so I can talk. And now, when you know, we're trying to de-emphasize that we're Christians. As a matter of fact, there's a move in... And church construction, where a lot of churches are taking crosses out, you know, taking in order to look modern, postmodern architecture. You won't see those uh, Christian symbols anywhere, so you won't know whether they're a church or not. You just, you know, 
you know that they're Christians who worship together, but you don't know really, you know, you can't tell it's a church because they don't they want to be appealing. And when it comes down to the music, uh, <laughs> I've seen churches they play, you know, they they take the, the the contemporary pop music of the day and change a few words and sing it as a praise song and not think anything of it. I don't know why, but that's what some me some people do. And you know, uh, the other thing that a lot of people are doing is that they're, they're in order to not really identify as the crazy Christian. Instead of calling themselves Christian, they're saying, "Well, I'm spiritual." And that's a whole different ball game there, uh, because when you talk about spiritual, you're talking about something else altogether. But a lot of folk are calling themselves spiritual. So let's look at this word spiritual. What does it mean? You know, what 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 what's the, is the difference? I mean, is it wrong? Because I'm saying I'm I'm not a Christian. Uh, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm I'm more spiritual. I'm not religious. You need to be religious, and even if you aren't practicing uh, a set of uh, things or rituals, uh, that you know that's fine and good. But let's look what this spiritual thing is. Spiritual, by definition, is concerned with affecting the spirit of soul. Its approach to life is, you know, spiritual fulfillment, spiritual values, and love, and all that. Um, and it's a it's a, it's a process by which we begin to become more aware of our own self. We explore our own being, you know, become whole, reunite our, uh, as, as some people say, you're reuniting your spirit with uh, with purpose, things of this nature, you know, purpose-driven, all of this. The problem with that is, the main problem with that is, it is self-centered. You cannot be spiritual. You know why? Yes, you are a spirit, and God says that they who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. But you don't worship him with your spirit. You worship him by his spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives you the unction to worship God. And when you begin to say you're spiritual, you're saying, well, I can do it myself. I can connect with God myself without any help. You know, And, and yes, yes, you can. Scripture says that you must go to him, you must be free to him, you must yield to him by way of the Holy Spirit. And not going to a church, not going to a church does not make you spiritual. The church was established to build relationships, to build communion and community. So, you know, you can be spiritual all you want to, but you don't want to neglect yourself from getting around a, a fellow body of believers and, you know, you don't want to, you can't, it's hard to walk a, a, a Christian journey alone. That's why we have the Holy Spirit, we have faith. But the scripture talks to this. The, the scripture says that um, in Second Timothy uh, 3, 2, uh, yeah, chapter 3, uh, it says that men will be lovers of themselves, boastful, covetous, proud, disobedient. Uh, what else it goes further down? Oh, yeah. High-minded, traitors, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And this is what gets me right here. It says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And then he says, from those people, turn away. And a lot of people in the church have this 
this is what's going on. And you don't talk, you don't knock them out of the church or anything like that. But what what happens is that you get around these people who are not directly connected to God. They're connected with self, and they have these spiritual episodes, epithets, and all these things where I feel good today because, you know, I didn't read my Bible, but I heard a good meditation or this song moved me and all of this stuff. And the connection with God comes not from the Word of God and not from faith through Jesus Christ, but from some type of experience that promotes uh, an ethereal uh, spiritual experience, an, an ethereal uh, emotion, an ethereal uh, all kinds of things that, that makes you think that you are connected to God, but you're really not. And it also goes over into the preaching and the teaching and the studying of the Word of God because when you are not connected with God, when you are allowing some type of experience to... Um, to create what you believe is a relationship with God, what happens is, what happens is you actually lose it because you you you're not in direct sync with God. I'm trying not to get on the tangent. I got so much stuff running in my head. <laughs> Let me get focused before I get off. Uh, but um, it says that those people are the kind who are led away by their own desires, and in the church, what happens is. When we come to the church, we should come to the church with an attitude of repentance ready to receive from God instead of coming to the church with an attitude of arrogance ready to get from God. And that's what's going on in a lot of churches. They're coming in. People are coming in. Pastors are going forth, and, and they're coming with attitudes of arrogance to get from God instead of coming with attitudes of repentance to receive from God. And when you do that, what happens is it becomes all self-centered, love of yourself, and you don't condemn yourself, you don't feel bad, you know, when you go to church and you just did this or that, and, uh, it, it doesn't bother you, and it should. Um, I, I think that people are, uh, the, the fact that people are comfortable with the, uh, with sin, tolerating sin instead of uh, contesting it and, and, and saying what, calling it out, tolerating it. I think that's a large contributor to why people are spiritually immature. Because you got those who come to church, and if there is no mention of sin from the preacher, if there's no mention of repentance from sin from the preacher, then those people are walking in ignorance. They have a love for God. They have uh, they have a desire to want to to know God. They have a desire to want to uh, serve in the church, but there is a zeal for God, but not after knowledge. They, you know, and you can't not know God and not want to be like God. And God is holy, and you can't not want to fellowship with a holy God, and you know you're unrighteous, you're unholy. And the only way you can do that, become holy, is by faith in Jesus Christ and what God did, the atoning work of Christ. What God did through Jesus Christ is all that matters. And when we take that for granted, when we take that piece out of the puzzle, what happens is we lose out. Because we go about, like the, like the scripture says, we have the itching ears. 
We want to hear this. We don't want to hear about sin. I want to be googly-eyed from the start of service to the end of service. I want to feel good when I walk into service and when I leave service. And if you mention sin or if you make me feel uncomfortable, I'm going to contest it. I'm going to protest it because church is not supposed to make me feel uncomfortable. It's supposed to make me feel good about myself. No. Church is supposed to make you feel uncomfortable. You go to church to be acknowledged, to acknowledge the fact that you're coming before a holy God and you are not worthy to be in His presence. He wants you to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And guess what else He says? He loves those who worship Him in the beauty of holiness. So, you know, spiritual maturity. And I can't talk. You know, I've been there. I've been a fornicator. I've been an adulterer. I've been a liar. Uh, all of those things. Well, not, you know, still struggle with some of those things. And the reality is that when you confront yourself before the presence of God, you realize that you're not worthy to be in His presence. And then that causes the growth. That causes the maturity because you begin to see the the weaknesses of the flesh get weaker. The, the The strong desires that usually catapult you into sin become weaker, become uh, less appealing because your desire becomes more and more Christ-centered. When you're Christ-centered, when you're God-centered instead of self-centered, you don't try to be relevant because you realize that relevance is unnecessary. You realize that the only person you need to be relevant to is to God. You don't need to be trying to appeal to the masses to make them like you or make them like Jesus. That's not our calling. Our calling is not to let make them like Jesus. Our calling is to make them realize that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man can see the Father except through him. And, you know, yeah, you can have a concert with the loud music to draw him in, but if that's what you present to them and continue to present to them and that's what they expect, then they probably won't mature much. They probably won't go forth much. They probably won't have a boldness to proclaim Christ in the midst of crisis. They probably won't be having the boldness to stand having done all the stand. They'll fall. They probably won't, um, you know, when the enemy and all this deception is before them, they won't know the truth, and they won't be made free. They'll be remaining in bondage. And, And scriptures in Romans 8 says this, that, the person who is a friend of the world is an enemy of God, plain and simple. Uh, we can't say that we are God-fearing, God-loving, and not be willing to give up the world. So, But, again, that is, that is our quest. Our quest is to go forth in relevance to God's great grace, to go forth in what he has called us to do. And to know that God is enabling us and empowering us and has liberated us to be free indeed. Look, I thank you again for another dialogue, another day's growth. Praise to all that you've done.